The Indy 500 is the only thing I've done in my life. The more I've done it, the more it meant to me. Most things you become more sort of used to, not bored with, that's the wrong thing, but you become almost a bit numb to them. Yeah. Even if it's jumping out of an airplane. Yeah. You're like, I've done it five times. Indy, I slept less and less every year. I focused harder, I worked harder. Um, but that, that to me, especially now, and you'll get to experience it now doing the TV stuff now, the pre-race when they sing back home again in Indiana, all that stuff that we couldn't allow ourselves to enjoy as drivers. Yeah. yeah. I get goosebumps thinking about that. Was that to me, I love that place and I love that event. Um, it's, yeah, it's so special. I believe that each and every one of us has the power within ourselves to create the life that we really want. And I want to help give you the tools to make that happen. I'm Danica Patrick, and I'm Pretty Intense. On the show today is the lovely Dario Franchitti. Uh, Dario was my teammate back in the IndyCar days. And you'll end up hearing about him being my favorite teammate. He's a four-time series champion. He is a three-time Indy 500 champion. I think I should just start interviewing all the drivers because there's um, such a resonance understanding and respect and gets so much deeper when we can go into these conversations, which we just never took time to do when we were racing against each other. So we talked about, you know, tons about that life after, you know, aspects of, you know, everything from his daughter racing to, you know, Jimmy Johnson getting into IndyCars cars and, um, you know, funny stories about, you know, back in the day. Uh, so really, really great time with Dario and um, really grateful for the time. I hope you have a, have a good time listening to us uh, reminisce. Thanks for doing this. No worries. Are reverse. you in Scotland? Or no, you're in London, right? I'm in Londonshire, yeah. Yeah. All the um Londonshire. What's Londonshire? <laughs> no, it's just it's like Englandshire. It's um <laughs> what's Englandshire? It's um just how we sort of refer to it sometimes. Mm. The, yeah, yeah. But all the um, I didn't learn that slang. <sighs> Where are you? It was a while ago. Come on. I mean, it was, but I would have remembered Londonshire, Englandshire. I remember Englandshire, Cheerio. No, no. And I actually cool. kind of felt like I could learn a little Scottish, which is like a whole other language. Accents were kind of quieter. It's kind of softening again. Into like Englandshire versus Into Scottishshire? Sort of yeah, but five minutes with my, my buddies and it's back to normal. Back to Scottishshire? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Is that because Ellie has such a perfect English accent? She's a bit posh, isn't she? She is posh. She's super posh. Yeah. I think she went to elocution lessons at one point. But, Sorry, uh, what? It's where they teach you how to talk, talk proper like me. Like, wow. I, I, I presume. To, like where you learn how to put your legs when you sit in a chair and where to put your silverware. Is it like a uh, etiquette? Uh, Were you going to say how you put your legs when you sit in a skirt? I, I suppose I would with a kilt. When you wear a kilt, do you wear it the way you're supposed to wear it? As in oh, yeah. the whole, like the situation? You've got to. You really have to. Does it feel good? It depends how cold it is. <laughs> if it's, I normally wear it in Scotland, so it's a little, it can be a little... 
but it's kind of liberating, you know, you're, and you get this walk on, you're sort of walking. I don't know, anybody wears a kilt, there's, there's a certain walk that I don't walk like unless I'm wearing a kilt. And I think it's, I think it's wearing a kilt. I don't think it's the fact that, you know, everything's hanging out. Describe this walk then. What's the difference in this walk? Didn't the fact you're maybe wearing a skirt? Did <laughs> <laughs> you walk more feminine? <laughs> no, it's actually the opposite. It's actually it's more of a sort of a, a, a bit of attitude, a bit of a sway. Um, it's like when, it when counterbalance people... the feminine energy of the skirt. No, it's not, oh, honestly, you wear a kilt. What I wear a kilt. It's more of the opposite. You feel quite sort of um, how to put it, not aggressive, but you're like. Well, I'm kill, you know, you're all sort of very Scottish pride and um and let's be honest, most of the places I wear a kilt, you're the only person in the room in a kilt and it's I know. So it's yeah. more about the it's more about the um what is it tartan? What is the tartan, yeah, yeah. Tartan. It's more about sort of the pride of the tartan than it is about having no 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 pants on underneath <laughs> the kilt. Yeah, pants are underwear. Yes, see, that's an important distinction to, I got confused with that one in America. They're going, oh yeah, blah, blah, taking my pants off. I'm like, just hang on there a second there. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, one of my teammates. I was like, no, 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 no. No. But have you ever noticed how bad it is to walk in? Nobody looks cool walking in a racing suit because of the shoes. You think you wish you had heels on? No, just shoes you could actually walk in without sort of, you know, you feel like, I don't know, I never felt comfortable. And, Does it feel and, like uh, slippers? It's just that I was wore mine a size too small as well, so maybe that was the problem. Why? Did you try your shoes on in the first place when you were cold? <laughs> <laughs> no, I had to, to, get, to fit them in the car. You wouldn't have had this problem. I had to fit in the car, I had to wear a size what smaller. What shoe do you wear? Not massive, 44, 10, 13, US, US 10. No, I'm a basketball player. It's like, no, but yeah, the bigger shoe, that feeling when you would go in the braking zone and you go for the brake pedal and you hit the top of the tub. It didn't have to happen too many times before I put small shoes on. Yeah, you don't really want to screw up those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So I saw a video. I think he, I don't remember if it's you or Ellie posted of um, Sophia at Silverstone looking at the lights. Yeah, like, like, she sounds doctor. super. By the way, she sounds super posh too. Um, so she's uh, five. She's five. Five, and um, but the end of it, of course, is what <clears throat> I was the most interested in when she said she wanted to come back and go real fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Dad. What it's do you funny. think of that? I think in those situations, I think of you and I think of your dad and I'm like, okay, because she is, she's got that energy. She's like, she, and she, the whole thing, the thing I didn't film was when we drove onto the circuit and she looked over and said, daddy, what are we doing? And it was a Christmas display. It was Christmas lights for anybody that hasn't seen it. Said, what are you doing? So we're going to see the Christmas lights starting. Yeah, but Daddy, we're on the racetrack. Yeah, but with Christmas lights, is the speed limit. Daddy, 
no, no, I want to go fast. I'm here to go fast. So we, I said, well, we can't. Well, that's not very good, is it? And she was having a proper kickoff. So I had to promise I was going to take her to the track next summer and, uh, and take her for a spin. What about a go-kart, Dad? No. Come on. Seriously, you, are you against it? I don't know how I feel about it because there's a part of me thinks that who am I to say no? Right. Who am I to sort of, because, I mean, your dad, my dad, your mom, my mom did exactly the opposite. They encouraged us as much as we wanted. So I don't want to say no, but I don't know. Okay, so you know too much. So you know too much. That's the thing, right? You know how hard it is. You know all these. So what is it about that knowing that makes you think, "Mm -mm, honey, you don't? Because if you, it would be. I feel it almost feels like you're trying to say um, that you, you know, it's it's really hard, and you don't understand. You don't understand. So what is it that you understand that makes you think, ah? Cause you friggin' love racing. You love cars. Like, I don't know if I know anybody that loves racing cars more than you. <laughs> you might be right. That's yeah. the thing. I, I love it. And I love going to, to and go to Goodwood and, and, and with, with Ellie and the kids and Marino and Holly and Luca. Um, and just in sharing that experience. I love it. Um, I don't know if it's just the, the sort of the, just how difficult it is and how, impossible and and um it can be and do you know i, th- I think i'm going to al- allow her to do what she you know allow that sort of work because trust me she'll do exactly what she wants to do um but encourage her to to try different things you know what is what what's her passion she shouldn't do it because it's my passion and it was my but if it becomes her passion then i think you can't you can't stop, you know, you can't, you can't stop them. Ellie rode horses. So there's been some discussion of that, um, which could be horses equally painful. Horses and horsepower. Doesn't get more expensive than horses and horsepower. <laughs> so hang on. I want to go back into the difficult thing because obviously there's more there. So when you say difficult, like I get it, we all get it's hard, right? We get that you know, it's hard to get to the top of anything, whether you're in sports or whether you're in business, I don't care. Right. So now I want to know what that hard was. Like, what do you, when you say hard, what is the first thing you think of? Um, to me, it was well, a couple of things came straight to mind. Those early years um, that were, you know, when, didn't necessarily have the funds to go racing and the, the stress that that put on myself, the whole family, that kind of thing. That was, I mean, that was, that was not good. Um, and then I think in my particular case, all the, the different injuries <laughs> and that sort of um, the damage that that did. So those are the, those are the two things. Um, but it's, it, it is odd because I love, you know, I love a challenge. And I can't think of anything better than being passionate about something and, and challenging yourself every day. That's that's what I still do. But I think it's more just trying to protect Sophia, Valentina afterwards. But, um, you know, that's just the sort of, the, I guess, trying to find balance as a parent, which is... Protect her, is, from, is, protect her from the pain, protect her from 
disappointment from failure? Are you yeah. trying to give her, are you trying to give her a ribbon every time she goes and does something, dad? No, I'm gonna, like, cause you know, you know, the failures are where you learn, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know that. Absolutely. And I know this and that's, and that's, you know, with any of the guys I work with, any of the drivers, that's what, you know, I preach all the time. Um, it's just, she's five and she's little and she's cute. And, you know, our little sister's two and she's equally cute and even smaller. And you just kind of want to protect them. And, uh, you know, you, you knew me at my sort of most intense period in my life when I was absolutely tunnel vision. Um, and it's sort of, you know, there's maybe a different side to, to, to life that I've discovered. And it's, um, it's wonderful, but it's also bloody scary. The new side, the other side, the additional side, the, the, the side that you couldn't. Okay. Tell me about that side. Well, you know, I never wanted, I never wanted, when I was driving, I didn't want kids. Um, and Ashley and I talked about that and we're like, nah, that was just never a plan. Um, and I was so, everything took second place to my, what I did. I get it. The schedule wins, the whatever, it all went. It, I get it. I get it. I mean, you lived it equally as I did. Everything comes second. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that's great, but it's, it, it, it's wonderful. Trust me, I loved it. I loved every minute of what I got to do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this, this other part is sort of more about life is, is uh, it's, I'm so fortunate that I got to do life in these stages and this, this sort of, uh, you know, I find myself at 42 years old having my, my first kid, which is kind of cool. What's the scary? You said scary, didn't you? You said mm -hmm. this other part of life that it's scary. What is that? Uh... Well, it's scary because I sort of, that intensity's kind of backed off a lot and I want to sort of, again, protect my, my kids and, and find a balance, be a, I mean, one of the sort of the big three worries, I guess, has been, a, you want to be, you want to be a great parent. You want to not mess them up. You don't want to wrap them in cotton wool, but then you don't want to, you know, push them too hard. What's the, you know, where's, where's the balance? And, um, you know, funny enough, I've talked to your dad about this. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We talked about it at Indy where, cause he was laughing at me. He's like, <laughs> get ready. And I'm thinking, I hear you. And so we talked a little bit about that. And? You know, and then, well, just the, the sort of let them do what they want to do, you know, encourage them, push them if they want. If that's just, you know, you've got to, as you say, you've got to go out and experience these things. I guess what I would say, because, you know, if you talk to my dad and I'm guessing that there was a conversation around how he did it even, and, you know, you know how your life went, like we've had great lives, but um, it wasn't without its inevitable, necessary balancing that needed to happen and realizations that were, you know, um, needing, you know, attention in areas that were out of balance. And that's for uh -huh. sure been my journey, especially in the last few years. Um, so, so I guess like dad didn't, by the way, dad didn't have the answer and like, you don't have the answer and no one has the perfect answer for their kid. Uh -huh. Right. And every parent is probably going to give them some level of trauma, whether it's you love them too much or you don't love them enough, like, right. Just something simple mm -hmm. like that. And, um, 
that really the balance, even though you want to give it to them, you're not them. She's going to have to learn it for herself. And part of that learning might come from a a tremendous imbalance that highlights something that she needs to give attention to, but you got to let her follow her flow. So again, dad, so it's almost like, like step back and let her do, cause she's got to figure it out for herself anyway. And I know all this, trust me, I know all this. And I'm, yeah, as you say, the the thing about balance in life, I know all this, but it's just putting it at this point in, in, in her life and Valentina's life is trying to put that into practice. All those things I know and all those things I understand, but it's just, yeah, it's it's just a little, uh, it's a little moment, shall we say. Um, and you know, I joke about it. Is it more scary than driving in some way? Oh, massively. Really? Oh, you know, massively. You're driving, if you make a mistake, you know, you might crash or you might, you know, whatever. Flip, you, get hurt. Yeah. But if you do this and you mess it up, it's like, hmm. you know, that's the, that's the tricky part. That's the bit. Mm-hmm. It's like, you don't, you don't want to mess it up. But um, luckily Ellie's a lot more uh, sort of on it, <laughs> I would say. So um, yeah, we'll figure it out. How does Ellie balance you out? Does she? Um, yeah, absolutely. She is a top bird, by the way. She is a top bird. She is. She's, she's um, so much fun and she's so posh at the same time. <laughs> like, who created this amazing human that's like so put together and like smart and, uh, you know, well dressed and beautiful and articulate and speaks the Queen's English? And then on the other hand, is like, who's doing shots? <laughs> she's a good exactly. Guy. Apart from having terrible taste in, in men. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, she she balances. You're a top me. bloke. Don't worry. Oh, thanks, DP. Yeah. She she just, yeah, that intensity that I had and she sort of helped to chill that out a bit, you know, and I, I can be quite introvert in a lot of ways and she'll you know, she's the opposite and um she has got a lot of patience. Mm. Which is yeah. As you know, yeah, I'm learning patience. I've definitely learned patience since I'm. What kid. year? So, were you still racing when you met? We met at Indy in thirteen. Okay, so um, it was at the after party. When was she the was, accident? What the accident was thirteen, in, right? In thirteen, end of thirteen, yeah. So she was there, and we 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 kind of talked for a bit, and I was like, "Wow!" Oh, so you met her that year, that night. Yeah, I was like, "Hey!" And then she's like, "Oh, it's lovely to meet you." Um, Maybe we'll see each other again. And off she went. I went. You're a top bird. You have to come back around. Yeah, exactly. Come chat. And then, we, but then we it was later that year was the was the accident that made you have to retire. Yes, later that year that was October. So we yeah. I met. We met in May. October had yeah. the accident. I eventually called her in January. Were you with it been... yet? There's <laughs> <laughs> a little out there. Blame that. She's like Dario. Your head's still scrambled. No. Yeah, she's like you're. Uh, yeah, you're a little loud. Um, so yeah, it's a head injury. And then we 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 had our first date in uh, June of the following year, and that was it. I want to go back to. So I had this question I wanted to ask you because 
I get asked it all the time and I don't know how to answer it. And, um, and it's not very often that I get a chance to ask anyone this question that would be able to even add to this concept, this idea. Um, and since you have a daughter that is going to become a race car driver, perhaps maybe this is something that you, um, you have put some thought to, as you said, that it reminds you of myself and my dad, but I get asked all the time. And I don't know if this is part of why you also don't aren't excited for her to race or not. Maybe, maybe not. But I get asked all the time what it's like to be a girl out there. And what was it like for me? And it's like, dude, I can't answer that because I've only ever been a girl. Like, I don't know what any other perspective is like. So, you know, I'm being a little bit selfish right now, but I'm <clears throat> curious um, what that, what is that? What is, what was your experience or what was it like from your perspective to be a girl? Cause you could, you knew it from your own standpoint mm. as well as other guys, probably. I don't know. Maybe you guys talked about me. Maybe you didn't. I don't know. But So, I mean, I remember the first time we met. It was a long time. It was nine, was it, I think it was Croft. You'd just come over. And, um, and literally after that, I think the next time we met was you were racing Atlantics. So mm. it was a, you know... Um, and then you came and did IndyCar. And it was, I got the feeling, and it's getting better, but I got the feeling with, with most drivers got the benefit of the doubt of let's see how good they are. Whereas I think when you came into IndyCar, there was sort of a, hmm, nah, why is, why is, um, they were waiting, show, show me what you've got. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and there was a moment when, I certainly, I was one of those. Okay, right. Let's. What, and then, what? What? What are you? Why are you here? What's your? You know. And it was a qualifying for Indy. Your first Indianapolis five hundred. You went honking down at the turn one. You turned in, and the thing snapped sideways. You cap. You caught it. Jumped straight back on the throttle and did this. <laughs> the other sort of three point seven laps, and I went. All right, and that was like your, that was like you to to me, and I think to a lot of the other drivers, it was a, that was the okay, you, you you were you'd sort of, but that just by that one moment, you'd earned your your place, I think. Mm. And we, and then from that point, I don't, I mean, we were teammates, we raced against each other, we had some close calls. <laughs> I never thought about you any differently than every other of the 20, however many, or 32 or 30, lunatics at, at Indianapolis. Um, it was a situation. Do you remember? Um, it was one time I was disappointed. Disappointed. That was my, my, the way I think about it. You and Dan had a bit of an argument at Milwaukee. Milwaukee. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I was uh, going into turn one and he sort of chopped down on me and 
put me like I ended up get bumping it like we touched and I went which anybody that knows open wheel racing you don't really want to cl- touch wheels I'm yeah. and I'm in the grass going across the grass and one and two I I come back on and anyway I was I was having a great race because I think I'd started like last the car was so so hard to drive and didn't qualify well and then uh-huh. I'd made it up to like fi- I was passing for fifth I feel like on Dan in the first stint which is about 80 laps wow. ish and mm-hmm. um <clears throat> so I was Holland and uh, he did that and then it obviously ended up getting going all the way to the back again and I think I maybe end up finishing fifth or eighth or something like that I came back through but not you know all the way and um and afterwards I was so mad at him and so I had talked to my team and then I saw him on pit lane and you know how it is that the racetrack you don't always have an opportunity to see someone after the race like because you ever everybody gets done and then they leave yeah and so I saw him and I was like Oh, I'm going to go over there. I think I'm maybe I even asked. It reminds me of the Milka Duno situation at um, mid Ohio. I, I, a lot of times ask first, like, can I go talk to him? Like, I want to go tell him. Who did you nobody ask? Really, nobody really tells me no. And so I go over there and I put my arm around his, around his shoulder or on his trap and I'm squeezing his traps so hard and I'm telling him what he did to me. And I'm so angry. And then, you know, that's sort of like the, the, the moment. And, um, he, mm-hmm. I remember he kind of spoke down to me a little, he acted like I was overreacting and, um, you know, maybe I was, but, yeah. um, you know, it was a little condescending. Yeah. From my point, I was watching that. I remember, I think I was back at the truck already or somewhere and I, wa- or I watched a replay and I was like, that was the one time I was kind of like, you know what? I think I said to you afterwards, I said, if that had been me or Tony talking and doing that with Dan, he'd have punched us. But you put him in a position, you were giving it to him absolutely, just, and he, he couldn't react. And that was the one time I was like, mm, you know what I mean? So what am I, so have you ever been in a situation with a driver where, it, where you were like that angry? Um, oh, yeah. So then what happened? Um, we we exchanged pleasantries. Verbal? Um, oh, yeah. But, but we didn't... So I'm didn't saying, like, should I have been able to do that? Are you saying that this is, like... Well, I, it was... you. I think if I remember, you were actually sort of giving him a bit of pushing and stuff as well. Maybe. maybe yeah, and I was like, well, that was the difference because if I'd have pushed DW like that, he would have... Which we did have a moment in 07 when we had a bit of an altercation. But, um, yeah, so... That was that was the only thing. But apart from that, to you, whether you were teammates or, or on track, it was from that moment in India. It was like, yeah, you're just you're one of the one of the drivers, one of the, um, yeah. That was a that was a big moment. I mean, what's that? Fifteen years ago. Yeah, 2005. I still mm-hmm. remember it. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that's. What's funny is that I, I can remember that too. And I remember thinking that it was going to make more of a difference for me to have done that than qualified on the pole. Yeah. Agreed. I think qualifying the pole, people would have found a way to say, oh, it was because of X, Y, or Z. Or whatever. Yeah. Whatever. As people do. You know, to me, you were always, I mean, you were really the best teammate. If I'm being honest, like you were my favorite teammate, you were, oh, I feel but you like, say that to all the teammates. 
I do. Let me make sure I haven't said that to you before. Um, no, <laughs> I, it's true because, um, something, I think there was the, the, the ability to drive similar cars. I thought you and I had yeah. similar styles and we spoke the same language about the car. So that was super helpful, but you were also helpful and you I felt like you genuinely cared and it, and at the, at, and for sure, all of your information was transparent. And if mm. I asked the question, and even sometimes when I didn't ask the question, you wanted to help. Mm. And that's not a common trait because again, I've been me. So I know what it's like with all the teammates I've had and not everyone made me feel like that. In fact, mm -hmm. not many made me feel like that. And so I want to say thank you. Um, and I also want to know why is that? Where did that come from? Who Like there's like the questions that go through my head are like, mom, dad, upbringing, values, uh, your own personal confidence. Because I feel like in the end, that makes a big difference too. Like your own personal confidence and like the, uh, the sidebar of, to me, your own personal confidence is like your one-year contracts every year. <laughs> You know, like who does one year contracts every year when you could have probably done a five year contract, you know? And so that sort of just spoke volumes about your confidence. But like, tell me about, you know, what did your mom teach you? What did your dad teach you? I mean, I know your parents, but like, this is a unique, like when I talked to Kanan, when I interviewed Kanan, uh -huh. it was such a fun, cause like, we don't ever talk about this stuff. We don't go into these details and these backgrounds mm -hmm. and this these feelings and information and history and childhood, but now's the, now's such a fun time to do that, especially when we're yeah. old and have perspective. We, we, I think we do have perspective and we, in our, I think in most jobs, most businesses, we don't talk about that. No. Um, we just don't because it's like, okay, are we quick? No, why are we not quick? How do we make yeah. it faster? <laughs> it, was, right. it was not productive. We weren't going to make any cars go faster by saying, how did your mom raise you? <laughs> exactly. That was the sort of, you know, although working with the drivers now, the psychology of it and why people act certain ways is, is really helpful and yeah. to, to get in performance from different people, whether it's Scott Dixon or back with, with Tony again this year with, with, with Jimmy Johnson, who's my, my new rookie. He's, he's quite good. Um, I'm, I don't curious know. About that. I'm curious about that. Well, let's get to that. And um, I want to hear about you first. So I, I mean, you know, my mom, um, she is a new mom, no, my sister. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not, I'm not. I, I'm not afraid of a strong woman. <laughs> that way, you know, my my. So your mom's my strong. Your sister is the oldest of three. So it's my it's sister's Marina, oldest. Of three. Marina and Marino, who's younger. Yeah. So My my both my grandmothers, um, you know, incredibly strong women. So that's. It's, I've never felt. Um, what's the word? I've never sort of had sort of a, a nervousness about. That. I love. I love strong women. My, you know, both Ashley now Ellie incredibly strong women so um I think that was part of the um you know oh so I, I mean guys occasionally say, oh you, you you got beaten by Danica today I said yeah and I got beaten by five other people mm -hmm. <laughs> it, 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 so that to me there was never a a difference um and so as teammates I always felt if we were all better if 
if we could, there was this here, a, a rising tide lifts all, all boats. Yeah. And that was the way I always looked at it. And I still do. Um, you know, whether that was the, 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 the Andretti green years, um, whether that was with, with, with Scott Dixon at, at Chip Ganassi Racing, we, we did that. And I still do that today in my, in my job with, with, um, you know, with those guys. And it's sort of, it, and I, I, and I get a buzz now out of when I can help, um, when I can help the other drivers, the, the drivers that I work with. But I remember, I think it was mid-Ohio, you qualified on the front row. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, you have a memory. Yeah, you know, well, This I, goes to a concept I have because you're such a nostalgic sort of like, you know, Goodwood Festival. And like, I have this idea that people are either futurists and live in the future and get attached to outcomes or they kind mm-hmm. of have sort of a past orientation, which includes really good memory because, you know, mm-hmm. it's that sort of like, you, 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 you're in the feeling of the memories and the nostalgia, the vibe, mm-hmm. the energy. And so it's kind of no surprise to me, actually, because I actually have that written down for some ideas to ask you about. I'm like, you're so nostalgic. You're so, yeah. you're such an old soul. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the pictures I've got. Um, I've got pictures I'm, I'm throwing my office. And this is my, my this is not the, the big silly office with all the helmets and stuff in it, but um, the pictures of my old dog, um, Mm. Ellie and Sophia, Valentina, and then it's all like old racing cars and old. Yeah. You know, and that's, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have a great memory. So your mom was super strong, obviously, Mm. that they gave you a comfort, which is unique because some people, sometimes the strength um, can be a little out of balance and can, can create sort of an apprehension to being in a position where they feel like they're being dominated or controlled by a woman. So that to me says that your, you know, your family has a really balanced female energy, I would say. It's a partnership, isn't it? It's like marriage. It's a partnership. There's not, there shouldn't be one dominant. There's always going to be different days, but it should sort of go around a, a, a center, as you said earlier, balance. I used to have this fantastic Austrian trainer, Tony, when he would, you know, I was like sort of Humpty Dumpty, I'd break myself into a million bits and he would sort of help put me back together. But he was very much balanced. Life is about balance. And he always used to, or, or he would say balance, balance. Life is about balance. Mm-hmm. So true. What about George? Your dad, seen, I feel like George is just so balanced. George's dad's, so, you know, when your dad at his absolute, when he's, properly at the track and he was having a bad day you know oh god was, it was the worst i mean people thought he'd end my career because he'd get so fired up right that was my dad at the car track that same really? level of yeah that same level of just you know he wanted it so badly for for his kids that he'd lost all reason and as you know, a lot of parents do but when when i started racing cars he went the first meeting with um, David Leslie, junior and senior, that I'd raced my first races with. And he said something to them like, okay, I've taken him as far as he can, can go, as far as I, I can, you know more than I do. And from that day, he never commented, he never got involved. And that was, you know, he was if, almost every race my whole career from that point. Third, what was that? What would I have been? He just years. started playing golf, basically. He just started playing golf. And he the only time he commented one day, I asked for it. I was like, ah, that wasn't very, I'd, I'd screwed up somewhere. And him and I were leaving the track. 
And I looked over and said, that wasn't very good today, Dad, was it? He said, no, son, you've had better days. <laughs> Wait, I'm, I'm so fascinated by this transition and how, you know, gosh, only, mm-hmm. only your dad could have taught my dad how to do that. Um, <laughs> it's taken a lot longer for him to calm down. Um, but uh, did you guys ever talk about that? Not really. You know, I listened to you one of what your your podcast with your dad. As soon as I saw that, I was like, "Oh, I'm having this is this is going to be good." So, whatever I was doing, stop it! And I just and I, I watched and I listened, and um, oh, it was so much fun. And you can you were sort of it made me laugh because you're trying to get your dad to help you because you've become really deep since you've retired. You've become so deep, and you're trying to pull old TJ in, and he's having none of it. He's like, "Yeah, well, you know, it's just what we did." And he was every time you're trying to sort of. I know. (laughs) People love that interview too. They just like, I was trying so hard to get my dad to get emotional and crack and admit things and realize things and have epiphanies and break open. And I, he's just like, whatever it is, whatever. And I'm like, (laughs) went back to work. (laughs) And I was just like, that's awesome. But that's the kind of thing my dad does. It's like, you sort of have these moments and you're like, two big things i feel like for you were your flips in 2007 that um obviously had created a shift in you of what you were i don't know maybe it was fear-based a little bit um i'm i'm and especially because having lost greg moore which was a great friend and um, you know, Dan hadn't passed yet, but obviously those are pretty traumatic things. And then of course the trauma of NASCAR. (laughs) (laughs) The trauma. So, um, but the, but, but in 2007, you know, and of course the first one that happened was, you know, I'm being the good teammate with you and I think I'm third and I'm right behind you going down the back straightaway at Michigan. And Dan is, I didn't even know what this was. Then he was trying to side draft. I think he said, and like, I didn't even know what that was. So it was like, what the heck is side drafting? It's a NASCAR term. Um, So, you know, you don't side draft in an open wheel car. And so anyway, he's trying to side draft you. And anyway, you guys, you guys interlocked and you flipped right over the top of me. It was the most creepy thing because I went around three and four and I didn't see a single car. I came out of four and I was like, I was looking, <laughs> you see that? I went for the rearview mirror up. <laughs> um, <laughs> I looked in the rearview mirror and there was nobody coming. And I'm like, oh my God. And so, and then the one, the one at Kentucky where I, it was a checkered flag. And I think you weren't sure it was the checkered flag. Oh, and I so you no kept idea. your foot in it and you flipped, was it Kaske Matsura? Uh, was one of the Japanese. Matsura. And you launched and flipped all, you know, Mm. It totally airborne and flipped over. So anyway, what the hell happened? Like, what was your, what was your, what was your breakdown there? So I was, there was a, a sort of a, a school of thought at the time that I decided to go to NASCAR because of those flips. And that was I would have thought, I would have thought that. Yeah. That was not the case. Um, it was money then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like money too. Like, yeah, you know, I'm Scottish. It's, you know, these cars <laughs> were by themselves. No, I know Ferraris was, don't buy themselves. That's right. I was I I'm I had to have a new challenge. That's what it was. I'd won the five hundred. 
Mm. And I, I was looking like I had a good chance of winning the championship. I needed a new challenge. I'd done it for 10 years. Um, Greg had passed away, you know, three years into that. And I had had a massive accident at the start of 2000 where I really damaged my, my, my brain. Was that the um, bike accident? No, that was the, the homestead. Yeah, that was, no, it was a homestead testing crash. Um, oh. That really, really messed my brain up. And I, I was, it, it took a lot out of me to get back from, and then I broke my back on the bike. Yeah. So I just needed a, some, a change of scenery. I needed a new challenge, I thought. Um, those crashes, um, it's funny, but the, did you see the Roman Grosjean crash in Formula One the other day when he went through the barrier? Embarrassingly, no, I didn't. Oh, he talked about it. He got stuck and he went through the barrier, like through the armco. Mm. And he talks about it. Um, and it resonated. I had, to, I had to switch it off because it actually resonated quite a lot. There was that moment when you talk about that first flip with Dan. Mm. as the car went airborne. And I thought, mm. oh, shit. Mm. Oh, and it, and it went quiet. And I thought, am I going to die? And it literally it was, oh, I think. I don't want to die. And if, if the car hits the fence, I'm probably going to die. I hope it doesn't hurt. And I opened, it was very quiet, and I opened my eyes, and there was these cars going underneath me about 20 feet below, and I thought, oh, oh it's not over. Mm. I closed my eyes again. And the car landed, and it landed on top of Scott, and mm. we almost bashed heads. Had we bashed heads, we'd have both been gone. We almost bashed heads, and it was no harder than falling down running. Minimal impact. And I started laughing. I was upside down sliding along. I started laughing because I'm, I'm alive. It doesn't hurt. And then the roll bar snapped off, and my head started dragging across the ground. Like, it's getting closer. <laughs> exactly. And, um, and then I remember that, Nobody wanted to turn the car over. And Sam Hornish came and helped the medical crew yeah. to turn the, the car over. Yeah. And, and Doc Trammell was as white as a, a sheep because they thought that, you know, that the, the, the accident had been bad. Anyway, the next day I was flying. Um, actually, to finish that with mum and dad, mum and dad were both at that race. And I saw them in the medical center. My dad looked about 100 years old. And I just thought, mm -hmm. I've got to stop doing this to my parents. <laughs> um, the next day I was flying home in the helicopter and I landed in Newcastle, Indiana. And I'd landed on the way up for fuel and I pulled in and I landed. And the old guy comes out and he goes, well, son, that was a much smoother landing than you had yesterday. <laughs> I just heard the, I just heard the fear for your daughters ever racing right there. Cause you just said, I've got to stop doing this to my parents and you don't want your kids to do that to you. Yeah, you could be right. I, I'm fine. I was fine doing it myself. Yeah. I hate yeah. watching other people that so I, or my friends and people that I love, I hate watching them racing. Mm -hmm. um, not because they're getting hurt. That's another whole level of, of sort of scared, but just because I want them to do well and all those sort of things. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. So had, I, I was, I totally thought going to NASCAR had to do with crashing and just going, you know what? Give me a roof. Yeah. No. And I was I was gung ho the next week, and I went back to Kentucky, mm. and we had was I had the to flip. Next week. Six days later. Oh my god. And I was like, this is, this is not good. 
Did you feel like you were getting a sign like, Dario, it's time for a time for a change? You know, I, I, at that point, the championship was kind of getting to that, the end and I knew and I wanted to win it and I didn't care what signs or anything. I, was like, I just went home and I went testing the next week to Sonoma. It was very scary, actually. To get back in the car was very scary. And then we did a race, the last race of the season. Every time I would turn into a corner, I was worried someone was there, even with the spotter. Dave, my spotter was telling me they were clear. And I was, it was, that, that was one of those basically lying to myself, mind over matter, getting the, just doing the job and we ended up in the, in the championship. So well, then why NASCAR? So you wanted a challenge. I wanted the challenge. Um, and you went in blindly. And I had never been to a, I'd been to one test, I think. I think I'd been to a test day. It was sat in the car. Did you ever think and, F1? Well, the F1 thing, I had the chance sort of 97, 2000, and it just never worked out with the IndyCar thing, you know, and... So, Would you have rather gone to Formula One over NASCAR if that was an option? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. Absolutely. But so the NASCAR thing, I did, um, as we did, we had to go and do ARCA races. And I, I didn't, my first race was in um, Talladega in this ARCA car with the steering wheel, it was like, it was like a truck wheel. And I leave the pits. And I hadn't got past second gear. And I just thought, I remember it clearly. What have I done? Yeah. I've heard you what? say, I've seen that written. I've seen that before. Yeah. Um, and I just, I never got a buzz out of it. So it was the car then. You just hated the car. Like it, it does handle like shit. I mean, it's a boat. Oh, dreadful things, but our cars <laughs> were very good. Um, you know, and I was, I was under, you know, as you, as you very well know, you're under a lot of you know, pressure, a lot of my, you're under the microscope. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I started to figure out the nationwide car a bit, or Xfinity, I think it's called now. Um, but the cup cars just were never, never very good. I broke my ankle mm -hmm. in a, an accident, uh, which was kind of accident. You were yeah, that one hurt. Mm. And I, I just didn't get a buzz, and I was wanted to do. I wanted to do it, but I was convinced I wasn't going back to IndyCar. I remember that I was not going to do huh? IndyCar. But after I, once I committed to, to NASCAR, not doing IndyCar. And then I'd gone to Detroit and I watched an IndyCar go through the first couple of corners of Detroit. And I'm like, ah. I do. And yeah, then the rest is, is history. Do you think that you, because you went back to IndyCar in 2009 and just cleaned up. I mean, you, you, you had the vast majority of your, Big records after. So mm. it leads me to wonder if you feel like, what did you get from that? It may have seemed like a detour. However, I'm thinking it wasn't. And I'm wondering what it is that you got from NASCAR that put you in this position in 2009 to do what you did through 2012, 13, before you had your accident. Oh, what, what did you see earlier that you learn from the, the the hard bits really you heard you learn from you know those bits where you fall over really and that was it i learned so much about myself and determination and 
um, out of my been out of my comfort zone that when I got back to IndyCar, and I wanted I had something to prove too. But mm. um, yeah, I'd been so far out of my comfort zone, and you know from working with me, I like the car a very certain way. Dude, and you like your head pad to be within <laughs> a sixty fourth of an inch is probably where you draw the line, but an eighth is definitely a change, and there's a tenth in it. Absolutely. Everything had to be perfect. But when I came back from NASCAR, the seat still had to be perfect. But I could drive a car that I wasn't comfortable with. Mm. And then that was from doing that. And it was like, right, okay, look out. Here we go. And I got teamed up with a bunch of people who were equally as uh, as hungry to win. And when that happens, it's, as you know, it's magical. It's like, whoa. Mm-hmm. And I went in there literally thinking if i don't embarrass myself i'll be happy i just don't want to embarrass myself against scott because he was at the top of his game and uh, and it worked out quite well yeah i'd say Mm. and now scott embarrasses everyone else when he just winning everything god he's do you know when you decided you were going to retire yeah you know you probably much like you had there was a time you could feel your desire to do it just tailing off. Yeah. Ugh, it's not, you just, it's, it's a very subtle change, but you feel it. He doesn't get that. He's four, he's just turned 40. And he's just, just keeps going. He might as well be 30. Exactly. I mean, his attitude is every day, he just doesn't have that sort of, you know, doesn't the, the, tra- the trappings of his success, whatever, hasn't slowed him down. He's still like yesterday. I spoke to him and he was out in the morning training, out running in the afternoon. Just and he's still as committed as ever to to success. And it is so fantastic. and I would definitely draw the parallel uh in the racing world of um Dixie to Jimmy. Right, they're both kind of more, I mean, let's be lovingly honest, they're both a little bit more sort of like quiet, vanilla would be usually a word to describe them. Um, I mean, Jimmy we know quiet. them, we know Jimmy, we know Scott, <laughs> like in certain environments, they're not like that at all. But, you know, when it comes to work and, and, and you know, they could be... Mm-hmm. So they're, but they've both accomplished such a tremendous amount. Like they're, there's nothing quiet about their history and mm. what they've made. Um, so now you've got Jimmy. I mean, and by the way, what is it? What is it? Your, I wrote it down. Your, your competition director. Is that your? No, 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 no. Um, we, we kept trying to come up with a, a title. Chip's like, what are we going to call you? And we still haven't. Okay, um, so then what do you do? Like, what do you do then? whatever whatever i can do to make the team more successful and that's working with the drivers um Does Chip actually listen to you sometimes sometimes um whether that's hiring you drivers engineer. i interrupted you go ahead yeah working with the drivers on performance at the track working with the engineers hire helping to hire engineers oh. so i think that guy is good oh. why do we think you know and that's great having doug ducart and mike hull as well as chip because those guys will sort of listen Mm-hmm. Well, I think we need to go after this driver if if and so that that side of things as well as just the day to day working with um with working with the guys you know with with Jimmy he's full on he's awesome he's the he's got the mindset of a seven time champion 
with the inquisitive nature of a rookie. Mm. He's, at, he's at Homestead today, running a Formula 3 car. So I need to... One of the funniest things I feel like I heard it was, this was 2000 and I don't remember what year it was, 16 maybe or something like that. It was before the chase. And so it was a big party in Chicago before the chase round, the last 10 races of the NASCAR season. And we're all going out. And um, at this point, uh, so this is the first year Ricky made the chase. And so I was, I think he was in it. Maybe it was just because I had a place in Chicago, but we were out with all of them and we ended up back at my place in Chicago, all of us, and we're drinking and having fun. And <laughs> Jeff says the funniest thing. He's like, you know, in my career, I just didn't really have to try. And like, it just kind of happened. And he's like, Jimmy works so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, did you just say that? <laughs> um, <laughs> But it kind of goes in line with what you just said, which is the inquisitive, inquisitive nature of a rookie. Like, like some people just seek information and want to consume and are curious. And they, uh, it's part of their experience where then there's other people, I guess, like Jeff. And when I say Jeff or anybody like Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson, um, Jeff, like, obviously, you know, you know, Jeff too, like just fly by the seat of your pants, like, have fun, yeah. go for it, you know. <laughs> and I think, I think Jimmy Scott's is like a student. Like, yeah, Scott's more that sort of just it just happens, you know. He's he's chatting to you one minute, and or he's he's the, the thing at the track that always amazes me about Scott is, and this is what I couldn't do, and this is why I w couldn't have kids when I was driving. You know, caught five years ago. He's got Poppy here, Tilly here, and they're climbing all over him. And he's like, right, girls, gives him a kiss. Gotta go. Gets in the car. <clears throat> And if they ask me, I'm I'm in the bus an hour before mentally preparing and you know clearing my brain and all this stuff. And I so that I I get that Jimmy's sort of that work ethic. And as I got older, I realised I had to work hard. And there was times I probably might have been a little bit lazy in the earlier years. So what? How do you think he's going to do? An IndyCar is a beast. Let's just talk for a second because you and I can both speak the language of what's a NASCAR, what's a cup car like, what's a stock car like, and what's an IndyCar like. So from your experience, what is he about to step into knowing, like telling us a little bit about what they feel like and then how the hell is he going to do this? His, his biggest thing is going to be that there's a half a second between first and last. Yeah. If, you're, if you're a half a second off, you're last. That's going to be difficult. Um, you know, he's got two more test days in IndyCar before the first race in St. Pete. He's never driven on a street circuit. Where is he, where is he testing at? Um, we've got a test at Sebring, good old Sebring. Short, the, and, an, and a, another one at Laguna. We've done two days so far with him, Barber and Laguna. <clears throat> Ooh, two tracks with no runoff. And Barber's that was his so fast. Right? And that's his introduction to IndyCar. So physically, he's got no problem. He did 150 laps at Laguna. No problem. I mean, he's... And by the way, stock cars are a lot physically easier to drive than an IndyCar. A yeah. lot. Absolutely. But this guy's just a machine. He just loves working out, which I wasn't that much of a big fan. I did it so, you know, I didn't want to be tired during the race. But he, uh, yeah, he's a different level. He's in that sort of Dixon and Tony, I like to work out thing, which I never got. 
I do it now. I'm over there I with want, them. I love you're over, I love uh, out. Well, I see that on your Instagram and stuff. I just work out so I don't have to buy, you know, jeans with a bigger thing. waist. Yeah, exactly. You said the half a second and I get that, but what is it about that half a second that's going to be hard? Well, and this is something him and I have talked about. We're sitting, I think at Laguna. <laughs> it was one of those comments that Jeff made. He went, I can kind of figure out why you suck so badly now in a cup car. <laughs> Sometimes honesty just comes in a dagger and you're like, oh, yeah. okay, so what was it? It's the way, you know, my, all the speed that I had, especially on a street road course, came from a, entry to apex, running that speed and using the downforce, running, bleeding off the brakes, running in. Mm. That's the area Jimmy's been struggling with so far because he's always thinking about getting to the throttle first mm. and the way he shapes the corner and all those things which is exactly what you don't want to do in a, in an indie car what i did you don't want to do in a cup car so we're sort of we're comparing notes and that's been i think that's been helpful to him as i can relate to driving you know a stock car and um you know no matter how badly i did it i can relate to the, the, the what, yeah. what he's going to have to do the entry is so much different in a stock car versus an indie car. You know, the mm -hmm. arc of an indie car versus the shallow entry of a stock car because you want to load it up slowly. Like they're just very different. Yeah. So that's been, that's been, it's been interesting. And that's going to be a, that whole season is going to be a lot of fun. And we've got obviously Scott, Marcus Erickson, and Alex Palou, the young Spanish kid mm -hmm. who's so polite. He's so, but he's badass. He's so quick. He's a kid, right? Um, he, he's a kid. How old is he? 21? I don't know. I mean. Of course he's polite because we're all ancient compared to him. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't called me sir yet, but we're, you know. <laughs> well, that comes in the NASCAR world. You're going to hear that. Maybe Jimmy will drop that every now and again. Yes, sir. His spotter does. Earl, big yeah. Earl. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. sir. So how do you think he's going to do? I mean, to me, when I hear a half a second, what I'm hearing is um, that you're going to have to get that good. You're just going to have to get that good, you know, like yeah. and and that, you know, it's uh, to even get within that half a second is going to be a lot to learn mm -hmm. to trust the car can do as much as it can do um, is is a feat. Cause they are extreme. When I jumped back in the indie car for the 500 a couple of years ago, when I did it and I took off out of the pits, I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. I was like, this is, and then the steering was so heavy and I was like, I can't freaking turn the wheel. And I was like, Oh my God, these things have so much more power. And I was like, I forgot how tight the belts have to be. I truly <laughs> forgot how tight the belts had to be. Do you remember that scene in Star Wars when the Millennium Falcon goes to hyperdrive? No. Really deeply. Come on. I haven't seen Star Wars. This is so bad. I should have. I'm super into space and, you know. Get watch Star Wars. It's awesome. But there's this scene where it just goes and everything just comes at you at warp factor speed. And that's, yeah, that's, that's driving in car. Did he ever mention mm -hmm. anything about the acceleration? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Acceleration, the speed of... of the, the you know the processing information that he's had to do he's going to be fine this guy's got I mean, it's an easy thing to say is for a seven-time champion he's got so much talent so much work ethic but there's going to be difficult days too because okay. he doesn't yeah. know how to gain time 
um, at the moment, doesn't understand the intricacies of how a tyre goes off throughout the run, how does the balance change, all the little details that make the difference between you know winning and finishing P10. So, um, But it's a two-year project, and he, um, he will surprise a few people, and I'm looking forward to that. How close has he gotten lap time-wise? Um, the first, well, again, we've done two days testing with him, so, so I'm I think it was looking for the second back. and a half. I think it was a second and a half around Laguna, but he got in the F3 car and he was about that to start off. And by the end of the day, he was as quick as anybody. Really? What? Yeah, his engineer Eric said he said by the end of the day, all the other teams had come out to the pit wall with the stopwatches. I took that as a good sign. Hmm. Why is yeah. he doing it? Did he tell you that? Why is he doing it? Why is he? Oh, he, this guy, he loves a challenge. It's just. He, same thing as, as you, kid, you guys speak the same language. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's apart from he gets, he challenges himself by riding bicycles up mountains and stuff. And Come on, you rode bikes a little for a while. Yeah, I, I still do a bit, but I'm sort of, again, it's, a, it's just vanity now to stop getting fat. A basket on the front. <laughs> That's cute. Going down, going down to the market for a baguette. Precisely. Um, yeah. So then, what's the uh, like? You know, you talked about kind of you know there being a difference to being retired and like sometimes more stresses. So, but what's the best part? Because you the were last retire and you didn't want to. No. Imagine, right. No, I didn't want to retire. I had all these plans to go race at Le Mans with Porsche. And um, then when it, when it happened, I, I wasn't sort of, I remember lying in bed, not, I was going to say not long after, but probably a month after when I can start to remember things. And I wasn't sort of, woe was me. I was thinking, I can go down that road, but I'm not going to. Think of all the things I got to do, all the, the, the races I won that I never thought I got to win. Um, and I was just happy to be alive. I mean, at, at that point, I was absolutely, I was like, wow, I can go live the rest of my life. Um, you know, I might limp a bit and forget stuff, but I'm alive. So I didn't miss any of it. Um, and to be, to be honest, I don't miss the high pressure of racing an IndyCar. Like if they said to me, you can go do it tomorrow, I wouldn't do it. Um, but racing, all, I get to race all cars at Goodwin and some really leery stuff. And it's that floats my boat, but I go as fast as I want to go. If you could get back into a car at any car at all, any race, and you'd be, it'd be like 2012, let's say. That's, mm. that's, your, that's your sort of sharpness. Which one mm -hmm. would you do? Which car? Which track? Yeah. I've got a picture of it here. Oh. It's my ninety my ninety-eight Surface Paradise winning car, which I have in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Um that to me was a perfect thing of massive horsepower, sticky tires. Um it was a fun time in life as well. It was before Greg had died and you know, we were kids. That was fun. So that was that car probably rode America. Mm. That thing hauled the mail around Road America. I mean, it's so it was so quick. Mm. So probably probably that car. Um, 
I'm partial to my 2010 winner round Indy. That was the most dominant car I've ever had of any any race I've done. So I'd like a wee spin in that one again. Chip's got yeah. that. I yeah. Yeah. Hmm. What about you? Oh. Come on. I don't care. I'm not in the race. I'm not into cars. I know that sounds like I've had a hard time admitting that because it sounds mm -hmm. like I cheated the system. But what I loved about racing wasn't the cars and sort of like it was the challenge. It was setting a goal and achieving it. It was the... Mm -hmm. The journey, it was sort of like the, I love the attention to detail, the focus on, on perfecting the race. And maybe you can relate to that because you're quite the perfectionist, but like just like <laughs> nailing everything and the feeling mm -hmm. of like threading the needle and just doing it, qualifying and like letting that, and it flowed so well. And you just, you know, you nailed it. You like floated it yep. through the whole thing. And you're just like, God, I just, I killed it. And right. that feeling's amazing. And so I loved that. I loved setting a goal and achieving it, but like racing itself, um, I just, it wasn't, I didn't, I, I can sort of achieve some of these aspects about racing in other ways. But if I'm going to give an answer, if I could go, well, if I could do any race, any car, I mean, I'd probably go back to that first Indy 500 because it was so good. <laughs> the <laughs> car was so good. I mean, we trimmed to make it go, to make it more balanced. Like it was so good. And I was so young with such um, immaturity. Uh, and I, you know, would have been, it, I wish I could have my talent at the end then. Um, I know what you mean. But then on the same level, ignorance is bliss. And so I think there were certain aspects that because I was so new to it that I didn't think about, including the charge of the Indy 500, the emotional charge, right? Because it's like, actually, as time goes by, it almost starts feeling more nervous in a way because you can just like you appreciate, respect and honor the gravity of the race and the situation and what it does for your career what it can do. And so it's yeah. like, I also didn't have that sort of fear charge of it not going well. Cause I was so um, new. That makes a lot of sense to me. The Indy 500 is the only thing I've done in my life. The more I've done it, the more it meant to me. Most things you become more sort of used to not bored with. That's the wrong thing, but you become almost a bit numb to them. Yeah. Even if it's jumping out of an airplane. Yeah. You're like, I've done it five times. Indy, I slept less and less every year. I focused harder. I worked harder, um, but that that to me, especially now, and you'll get to experience it now doing the TV stuff. Now, the pre-race when they sing back home again, Indiana, all that stuff that we couldn't allow ourselves to enjoy as drivers. Yeah, yeah. I get goosebumps thinking about that. Was that to me? I love that place and I love that event. Um, it's yeah, it's so special. Yeah. What have you, um, <clears throat> is there anything now after racing's over with that you have realized about yourself or like a hobby you've taken up or something like that, that you're like, wow, I had no idea. <laughs> I'm so predictable. No, I mean, my car, it's all about cars, old cars, street cars, racing cars, books on cars, all these magazines on cars. Um, so that is it's just such a big part of my my life. Um, you know, to me, my my hobby 
is you know I get to do all these fun things around the world, different jobs. Um, I'm getting to work with Gordon Murray, who did the McLaren F1. He's doing a new car, so I'm working with him on his new car, which is just it's like every day he's going to school with this guy. Like designing? No, I'm I'm sort of helping develop and all these different parts of this this journey. It's so much fun. So I get to do that. And that's, that to me feels like a hobby. What has been uh, your greatest lesson through all of your experiences? Because there have been so many ups and downs. I mean, you've really lived quite the roller coaster with injuries, deaths, uh, accomplishments, relationships, children. Like, what has been the thing that you would say that has been your greatest lesson so far? that's put you in the place of being so happy now? I don't think it's one lesson. It's not one thing that changed. It's a lifetime of experience. Um, and the people I've been exposed to, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether that was people I worked with, whether that was being married to Ashley, whether, you know, um, all of these great people I've been exposed to and how they, they sort of, they shaped um, you know, my parents before that. Um, and from every person and every, every experience I've had, good and bad, I've, I've, I think I've learned something. Um, and I think that, that and I think age gives you some perspective as well because of those, those experiences. Well, then let me say, let me ask this in another way then. Mm. What is an experience that was so horrible that you can look back now and say, I know that I wasn't in a good place about it then, but I look back now and I'm so glad that happened to me. It's not, I wouldn't say horrible experience, but the NASCAR experience, I was always, from the moment I, from the moment I left, I was always happy that I'd done it. Mm. Um, the, the crashes, the injuries, all that stuff, I really didn't and don't that those weren't those weren't fun um you you were along on the same ride losing friends that's you know that's hard to sit here with 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 sophia and you know there's a picture of greg just over there and sort of talk about our uncle greg and you know he was daddy's friend and all that sort of stuff that's quite that's quite tough value life Living mm-hmm. to the fullest. Yes. I have a question for you, and this is something we you talked about perf- being a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Um, and our Dan was the ultimate perfectionist, right? I mean, every you know his perfect shoes and his. You, know, you his have house. to tell the story about what you did to him in I think it was Japan. You have to. Oh, just Japan tell that story. For his level of, because he was like a germaphobish clean freak too. He was until until him and Susie had the boys. Right, but this happened and before it, it. Yeah. What did but you and the boys the, do to him? Okay, so 2004. 2004. We go to Japan and we stayed in that hotel. They would always give us the team, I don't know if you knew this, but the teams always end up with the hotel rooms all in a line. Oh, so you'd end up next. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So you didn't want to be next to Tony because he snored really badly. And you could hear him through the wall. Anyway, we decided Hertha was always the instigator. And Brian's like, what are we going to do? Oh, I know. 
Dan's got the Honda Museum. Let's uh, well, let's go in his room and mess it up. Okay. So Tony goes downstairs. He's like, "Hello, I'm uh, Dan Weldon. Going to have his key, my key, please." There's a key up in the room. We go in. We took one of every shoe, and Dan travelled with I don't know twenty pairs of shoes. Um, one of every shoe. We took the TV away. We took all his hair care and skin products, and we poured them in the bathtub. Um, we also messed up the bathroom a little in another way, but I'm not going to go into that. Um, and we turned the heat up full. I guess is it called dropping? Is it dry docking? Is that what they call it? Sure. We, we did that, and then we turned the heat up full. Um, we closed the door, and we sat in the next room, and we're like. Here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. <laughs> so Dan comes up, you know, Mr. OCD, everything's perfect. All the, 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 the everything's laid out in bed perfectly and in the closet and lined up and you hear him ch -ch opens the door. He's like, mother. Yeah. And he, he went apoplectic. He was, he got one of the bosses. He's like, you gonna, you make these guys do this right? Well, we'd already sent the shoes. The shoes had all um, disappeared. I think one of each had gone back to the US. Um, he was so mad. He got the last lap because he won his first race that weekend. But he, oh, he was, he was beyond. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I love anyway. that. That's so funny. You guys played because you guys became the tricksters, and I always got to ask, like, what did they do to you? Did they like haze you in any way? I'm like, I'm not sure they knew what to do with me. No, we were too scared. Of me or doing no. the wrong. Thing? <laughs> Because I'm a scary I, person. The worst one I did was I hacksawed Tony's bike in half. Yeah, that's pretty mean. Because it was probably like a $7,000 bike or something. It was a lot of money. Um, yeah, he was on live on TV and I stood behind the camera with a hacksaw. <laughs> while he was on the show. It was brilliant. Um, didn't right, speak you had a perfectionistic question. Perfectionist. So Dan was the ultimate perfectionist. You said about being a perfectionist. Have you found that has both positively and negatively bled into your life, your everyday life. Yeah, yeah, of course. Any extreme of anything is going to have a negative effect. Um, mm. There are some aspects of a personality that, you know, if I were to choose, I'd be like, well, I'm glad I got that one in extreme versus the other side of the extreme. Um, and so with perfection, being a perfectionist, um, I, I would say that it's has more benefits than being a slob and not mm -hmm. caring. Um, but it can also uh, be a waste of energy because it doesn't matter. Right. So it's a matter of sort of, and anytime you're trying to break a pattern or addiction of something, it, it is that hard. It is, is if you are addicted. And so the, you have to train yourself to stop caring about little things and it's always going to be uncomfortable. And then as you do it more and more, then you come more into balance and then you don't, it doesn't have to be your way and a certain way. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I see it show up and yeah. Mm-hmm. So one more question. Yeah. So when we were like when we were teammates, when we were racing together and stuff, were you always sort of this deep thinking, or is this a new thing? Is this replaced 
um, because you're, you're you're pretty deep now. You you know you really think about things, which is phenomenal. But is this a new phenomenon? No, I um I've been doing a lot of talking about this aspect of myself, and <clears throat> actually within the last twenty four hours. And I used to do a lot where it would be mental and outside of me and the journey is inside of me now. And so uh, I put a lot of effort into the outside and I got a lot as a result, but it can't take me all the way to where I want to go or where I could go by continuing with the external. The journey has to go inward and that is a expansive space of potential um, and, uh, and information versus trying to learn it here in this linear world. This is not so linear. This is vertical. That's horizontal. That's linear. And so, <clears throat> so yeah, I remember when I was a young kid, like I would go to the bookstore once I could drive and I would always go to the self-help section and I was pulling books that were self-help and I didn't read a lot of books. And I know you love to read um, mm. because, because they were heavy. Like I remember reading one when I was a kid that was about like peeling away an onion, someone that went into solitary, like into solitude with no one, not speaking to anyone. And, and I don't remember a ton about the book other than that. And that the analogy that kept getting used in this book was peeling away the layers to getting to the core of who they were. And like, that's the kind of stuff I was reading. I mean, I was getting like astrology and 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 psychic readings when i was a teenager because i was curious i mean i didn't know any of this now i speak to guides and akashic readers on a regular basis like i'm so curious oh. and you know i'm so <laughs> curious about the quantum the unknown the unseen and guess what i'm realizing is that the journey is quite inward it's not something intellectual it's something felt and I think maybe that's the magic of kids too, in a way, like it's not something that you can go. It's a feeling. It's probably indescribable almost. Yeah. The love, the connection, the care. And so, um, yeah, I've always been like this though. I just didn't get to. And so in the end, actually what happened was I started really feeding into this sort of aspect of myself more, um, mm -hmm. in like 2000, I suppose it started in like 14 or 15 a lot. And then from that point on, once 17 came, I, and my main sponsor left at the beginning of the year, which was a weird scenario that I had never been faced with. Um, this idea of being done came about and I still had that year and another year on my contract and I had no intentions of retiring. And even after mm -hmm. that, I hadn't, I mean, hadn't even had thoughts of it. And so, um, I kind of started falling out of resonance with my environment and you start recognizing how kind of unhappy a lot of people are. And then you start recognizing the dynamic energetically that it took to be successful. And a lot of times you had to be pretty big asshole and you know, that, that selfishness and everything that was in. <laughs> and, and so I had that, right. I I've lived that. And, but it, it, it became something that wasn't as embodied in me anymore. And I was sort of shifting. And so I just kind of fell out of resonance. And so um, it's always been in me. It's just, there was never, it was just about the time, right? I just, 
I had to go through my own phases, which is why, you know, maybe Sophia is going to be a race car driver and, you know, maybe she'll be all in like dad was and like anyone who's great at somebody at something. And then she'll learn her own way. But sometimes it's kind of like you going to NASCAR. It's like, you might've seen it as a sidestep, but I think it had a lot to do with your continued and, and expanding, ex, you know, ex, uh, records and wins. Mm. I think it was part of it. So it might've seemed like a sidetrack, but it's all part of the journey. It's actually how you get to the greatest result. So sometimes you have to be out of balance to learn a lesson, to get to where you need to go. Deep, deep, deep. Very deep. <laughs> deep. Thank you, Dario. DP, thank you. That was fun. That was fun. You're the best. Hope you, hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.